for the Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the fifth Sunday of Easter for the week of May 15th, 2022, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and I'm excited because we're getting signs of spring where I'm at. We're definitely kind of seem like we've turned that corner, and that's exciting. That's fun. It's nice for me to be able to get some sunlight and just be able to get some of that light. And I hope wherever you're at that you're able to experience some of those signs of spring and being able to see the world kind of awakening. Or if you're in the southern half of the world, being able to see the world start to transition away from summer into the fall season. And that's exciting also, just seeing those fall colors and seeing how the world kind of goes through these changes to be able to start preparing itself for the hard season, the long season, the cold season, the season that looks like things are dead, but they're really not. And it's exciting to be going through these seasons, to be acknowledging how all this stuff is coming together. But if you also look at where we are within the church year, it's an exciting time because we're acknowledging the new life, the new growth of what that means that Christ didn't die. As we are in this season of Easter, what does it really mean that to have that new life, to really acknowledge that and live into that and breathe into that and acknowledge what power comes with that? And that's what's super fun. It's exciting. It's something to acknowledge. But let's look at the question that I had for you last week is, how do you make sure that your impact is greater than yourself? And I think this is where the comments that we got back came back very similar on how we work together. When we work together, we realize that typically the output that you're able to produce is much greater than by yourself, that you're able to do more than what you would think even two people could do, that it's just kind of this multiplying effect. But it's also, I heard a really good analogy this last week of talking about how this is why faith is, yes, a personal thing, but it's also a community thing and something that can't just be entirely done by yourself, that you're needing others there to help challenge you to help grow, but also to help be able to multiply the gifts of what's happening. And referencing back to Genesis when Adam or Adam was needing a helper, this idea that we have been designed to be in communion together, to work together, to be able to work through life's challenges, to be able to work through this growing process of what faith and life mean together and how do we do that. And especially when we look at this week, I don't do this very often, but I'm going to recommend if you didn't check out last week's podcast, make sure that you listen to it because I think there's a lot of correlation, a lot of overlap with the text that we'll have this week, but then how do they play with last week? And I think it's, if you're a preacher, I think there is definitely things you can take from last week and preach this week if you're really wanting to. But I'll bring in some different relationships, but it's kind of building a little bit off of what we talked about last week. So if you haven't checked out that one, make sure that you check out last week's. But let's just jump right into it. The first reading this week is out of Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18. So now you have believers who are coming up to Peter after hearing what happened in Joppa, which we got into last week. And they're kind of 
talking to him and acknowledging like, what are you doing? Like, why were you spending time with them? And that's Gentile territory. That's the non-believer territory. And this is where we get this vision that Peter had had and talks about that he sees this cloth, these four corners being held up with four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, birds of the air, and hearing a voice to get up Peter, kill and eat, coming from verse 7. These are things that up to that point have been kind of said, this is things that you don't eat. This is partially why some of our religious, like Muslim, um, and even sometimes Judaism, where they won't eat pork and different things of that nature, kind of comes from some of these older passages of the Old Testament. But this is where we're getting in Acts, this changing of the guard, where God acknowledging, I have made these clean. Like, why are you being so profane to them? And then talking about as he's going through this experience and eating with people who aren't part of the chosen people, realizing that, you know, we were talked about how John baptized with water, but Jesus acknowledged that you are being baptized with the Holy Spirit and how this isn't something that should be just contained. This would be something that's spread. This is something that we give to other people, whether they are clean or not, whether they are the chosen people or not, to welcome this them into this eternal life that we are looking for, that we're all desiring, and trying to bring everyone together. The psalm this week is very appropriate to where we'll be going with the gospel text, but the psalm this week is Psalm 148, and this is a praise psalm acknowledging how all of creation sings praise to God, the sun, the moon, the heavens, the earth, sea creatures of the deep, fire, hail, snow, frost, stormy wind, fulfill on command, mountains and hills and fruit trees and cedars and wild animals and cattle and creeping things and flying birds, that why as then we as people, we should also be acknowledging the greatness, the glory of what God is doing, that these things around us are fulfilling praise every single day so that thus we should be likewise, both young and old, male and female, that we should be ringing true this praise. The second reading this week is from Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 to 6. This is this text then talking about kind of what is to come, the new Jerusalem, talking about how you're having people of all different types of people, that there will be no more wiping away tears, there's no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, that all that has passed away, that this is something new, that this is being welcomed into the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, that there is no time changes dramatically and that there's this new life that we are breathed into because of what then Christ has done and welcoming us in. And thus, this new idea of what that Christ's family is going to look like, that this isn't necessarily all people of one race or all people of one body, per se, that we are a much more diverse body than we maybe at times us humans like to make, that the body is multicolored, multilingual, multi-race, that there is a lot of diversity within this one body. 
The gospel text this week is out of John chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. This is a very interesting place to kind of be dropping in. And especially when you have your first phrase here, when he had gone out, Jesus said, He being Judas at this point, this is Judas is leaving to go and betray Jesus. So this is kind of in that moment where you had Gethsemane and the Last Supper and all of this. And so this is kind of a statement then to the remaining 11 that Jesus has, that the Son of Man is to be glorified and God has glorified him. And so we get this idea, these texts of that this is what is happening. The glorification process is in movement. And once this all happens, you will understand more later. But we get from verse 33, little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot. And the important section here, 34 and 35, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This idea of the thing that separates us, the thing that makes us different as Christians is our love, that we go and love And I think there's a lot of things that we can do, that we can tie into. But before we talk about how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plugs for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between the Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to be able to help bring you this podcast. Yes, I really enjoy working at their Working Preacher podcast, having three to four different seminary professors from Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. But I also really enjoy looking at their commentaries and their discussions from other biblical scholars from all around the world and that they've gone through the lectionary cycle multiple times, giving you multiple different podcasts and multiple different other discussions and commentaries to talk about and think about these texts. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend that. The second thing that I'd highly recommend is checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. As I've talked about multiple times before, I use this site weekly to be able to bring you the text. I really like how they have them laid out. It's beautiful. But the separating factor that I really enjoy here is the art section. Being able to look at how different people throughout time, throughout space, throughout this world have interpreted these texts and thought about them and then tried to artistically express them is really fascinating. It can give you a lot of different ideas on how to look at these texts. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. What separates us from other faiths is our love. And in doing that, then we should be loving one another as we have been loved. I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You should love one another. Again, I feel like last week, like we talked about how trees and fungal networks have come together so that not only that the trees are helping the fungal networks and the fungal networks are helping the trees, but that trees are then able to communicate with other trees and help each other, making this inner web much deeper and having a much deeper connection than we ever would have thought even 
50 years ago. I think this is something that's very unique to humans. I think this is a reminder that God, Jesus, has to give us because we struggle with this. The rest of God's creation, especially like we see in the psalm, doesn't wrestle with this. It knows how to do this. We're the ones who don't. We're the ones that struggle with how to love one another. We're the ones who struggle to continue to show love. And let me get into that a little bit further. So one of the things like that you're taught in a lot of basic biology classes is symbiotic relationships, which are different types of relationships and categorizing them to be able to see. And so there's major three different types. There's up to five. We'll mostly focus on three. So there's mutualism, where both species benefit from the relationship. So looking at last week, The trees and fungal networks. The trees benefit from not only the nutrients that are able to be provided, but also the connection that it has with the other trees. The fungal networks benefit from the additional sugars to be able to help them grow and be able to continue to mature inside and be able to help connect these species. There's commensalism, where one species benefits and the other is unaffected. There's parasitism, where one species benefits at hurting the other one. So think of like a lamprey fish, which clamps on and sucks life out of a fish as it's going. So the fish, general fish, is losing or having a harm inflicted upon it, whereas the lamprey is benefiting from this relationship. Competition, where neither species benefits, they're in competition with each other. And neutralism, where both species are unaffected by something. So this is something that can definitely be used in scientific research when you're testing something and find that there is no correlation, it's neutralism, it really doesn't affect nor benefit what you are looking at. When I think about our relationship, though, with Christ. There's a lot here because where would Christ fit into this? I think my first reaction would be it's commensalism. So let's go through some examples of commensalism. One easy one that our brain can kind of wrap our head around pretty easily is tree frogs using plants for protection. So being able to use plants for hiding away from predators, being able to use plants to get out of the rain. The plant doesn't benefit at all, but the tree frog is majorly benefiting from that plant. Golden jackals is another one. If they get kicked out of the pack, will trail a tiger to help get some of the remains from the tiger. Does the tiger at all benefit? Heck no. Does the jackal? Yeah, it gets a little bit of like light protection, if you want to put it that way. And it's also getting food to be able to continue to survive. So there's a lot of these different relationships that we think about that there can be something where we look at that, okay, yes, this relationship only benefits one side. This isn't this vast thing that there's one that severely benefits from this, whereas the other one really doesn't get anything out of it. Another one would be ramada fish. Ramada fish are fish that kind of swim with sharks, and they get protection, they get some food scraps, 
there really isn't a ton of benefit that a shark gets from ramada fish maybe get a little bit of a cleaning or something along those lines but that's more pilot fish which have that role so it's it's one of these things where there isn't a ton of benefit to a shark but it happens but when we start thinking about a relationship with god and especially this idea of when we are loving one another it not only connects us with god and being able to establish and build this relationship with god to be able to better understand the character of God. I would also argue that part of this is also so that God can be in connection with us. If you think about whenever you have created something and put it into the world, whether it be artwork or sports or something like that, there is a connection that you make in that. There's a connection in that art form that it's hard to let go of. And if you think about it, the game or art wouldn't happen without you. So there is this point where you think about a relationship with God. Yes, we're benefit a lot from that. And heck, there's even probably moments where we're parasitic in how our faith is, that God keeps giving and we keep consuming. And especially if we aren't acknowledging, it's a parasitic relationship that we have with God. Then we get to this point where we're trying to grow in our faith. We're trying to get to this commensalism state where God isn't necessarily benefiting, but we're growing in this relationship. And then what we really realize is it is a mutualistic relationship. It's a relationship that God has the desire to connect with us. And I think the more we look at creation in and of itself, we start realizing how much of creation is built in that way. Creation itself is built in a way to be able to love itself. And in theory, because of what it's doing, it's showing praise and glory and honor like what the psalm is saying to God. It's giving us a glimpse of what that new Jerusalem, this new world is like. There's plenty of examples of mutualistic benefit. Take the Nile crocodile and the Egyptian plover. The Nile crocodile, this major predator, you would think would kill an Egyptian plover, but no, it sits there with its mouth open for the Egyptian plover to go in and clean between its teeth. The crocodile gets better dental health and gets all the stuff unstuck from around its teeth. The plover gets something to eat. The pilot fish, like I mentioned, helping to clean and get all these things while getting protection from the shark, but it's cleaning the shark. One that I found this week that I found really interesting is the weird, almost commensalism, but almost mutualistic relationship between coyotes and badgers in North America, where badgers hunt underground, coyotes use its speed above ground, but what have we noticed? There's been times where coyotes sit around the den, around the holes of ground squirrels. So when a badger is chasing them, that they pop up, bang, the coyote gets them. Well, if too much of that is happening, it forces a squirrel or whatever ground burrowing creature to stay in the ground. Now the badger is benefiting. There's this relationship. Now, is that mutualism? Is that commensalism? I would say that's more of a mutualistic relationship. We found one with the Colombian lesser-back tarantula and dotted human frog. What goes on there? The human frog will stay in the den 
of a tarantula. Great protection in the burrow. What is it actually doing? They're eating different ants and things that are attacking the tarantula's eggs to help it survive. What an amazing relationship. But even in all of this, this is where I would argue we see sin enter in or ways to try to rig the system. And it's actually a really good little clip coming from the BBC wildlife documentary Africa using David Attenborough looking at meerkats and drungos. Where drungos can give calls to help the meerkats as they are feeding alert that there is something of prey to build trust so that the meerkats go and run and hide. But the drungos have a couple tricks up their sleeve. One, they can give false alarms so that they can then get some of the food that the meerkats are eating. And the meerkats may wise up to this idea, but they're also a master of mimicry. And so then they can mimic their own meerkat calls of warning to still get the meals that they're looking for. And that's part of the hard part with love at times is we sometimes love figuring out ways to corrupt it, to make it so it's about us, make it so that we are benefiting in that. And yet when we look at the text and what we're told, that's not what we're called into. We're called into these mutualistic relationships. And the thing is, is when you're going through and looking at these types of relationships, there are way more mutualism types of relationships than commensalism, but there's less commensalism than parasitic relationships. But still the most is mutualism. The world is created in this idea of trying to have things benefiting each other, thus making food webs and making ecosystems that are dependent upon each other. Like we talked about last week, how the the whole tree ecosystem is all connected and how hub trees have a major impact. But you think about it, it's all comes back to simple mushrooms being able to have a whole ecosystem, being able to communicate these fungal networks to be able to connect things together. I do find it interesting that here we are getting this text and it's essentially a reminder for us to realize that we are all connected. What, you know, the vision and revelation here in 20, chapter 21, the new Jerusalem, this new image of what life is going to be about, is this idea of connection together. That we are going to be connected together. Acts, what Peter is going through and what the people are arguing. And it's like, no, we are more connected now. We've been baptized with the Holy Spirit to go and share this. We are going beyond just the quote-unquote chosen people. We are bringing more into the chosen people now, quotes. We are opening that up. We are loosening the restrictions. We are trying to allow for God's love to penetrate into God's creation, thus not trying to create barriers, but to break down barriers. They will recognize us by our love. I just find it interesting, especially when we're looking at using this psalm in Psalm 148, how often are we realizing that we're the ones that struggle with this? We're the last created and I think the last to learn this. Most of creation has this figured out, that it's dependent upon each other. The trees, the plants, the animals are all interwoven together and depend on each other. The more we research that, the more we realize that how a lot of systems and different things have evolved to grow together to make these 
intricate webs of how dependent they are on each other. This whole, again, idea that we talked a little bit about last week, that they're not self-made. They are interdependent. And here we are, yet again, being told right before Jesus' death that we are dependent on our love. So the question that I have for you this week is, how can we show love consistently? How can we show love consistently? Because I think it's something that we need to be talking about to be able to help each other in this. This is a place where God realizes that we struggle to consistently do that. How can we love better? But not even just love better, it's more love consistently. Because that's what we are being commanded to do. Christ continued to love us and poured out so much and what looks to be a one-sided relationship the love kept pouring and pouring and pouring into us but we realized that there was a benefit that christ had in that and that's the relationship that christ had with us that's what's so amazing that's what's so powerful That relationship isn't just a one-way. It is a two-way. It is a mutualistic, symbiotic relationship. To be able to have something where God does benefit from the connection with us that desires to know us better is crazy. But in order for that to happen, we have to love. And we have to love consistently and fervently. And I think it's that's where the rubber meets the road. As we are getting toward the end of the Easter season, that's the Easter celebration that we try bringing through consistently in our day-to-day lives. But how do we do that consistently is a difficult task, but an important one. And I think in a lot of ways, when we start looking around us from one we didn't even talk about, goby fish and pistol shrimp working together. Pistol shrimp make these beautiful dens and keep them really nice and clean and tidy, but they're blind. So what does the goby fish do? It lives in there, but will also nudge the pistol shrimp as predators come with its tail to know, go back into the den, go back into the burrow. It's time to hide. That's a beautiful relationship. How often do we overlook that? Overlook the care, the love, the little things that we could do to be able to actually benefit each other in much greater ways. It's a difficult task to love consistently, but it's also a commandment that we've been given. So how are we going to do it? How are we going to live out this Easter new life by loving consistently out to the world? Because I'd love to hear and figure out ways that we as a community can figure out to love consistently, more frequently, so it can become a habit and that we can be defined by our love. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.